This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So we can't really fault ourselves for having this sort of bedrock thinking because it's been ingrained and indoctrinated in us. But for many people who want to create a conscious relationship, we're starting to examine these things, right? And question the belief systems that we have. Can we have love without ownership? For many people in consensual non-monogamous relationships, this is a yes, this is a resounding yes. Does that mean that, you know, we don't still struggle with jealousy, with feelings of um, uncertainty, with trust issues, all of that for sure. Welcome back to Open Late Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, and I'm coming to you from Thailand. I am on a beautiful little island called Kopangan at a retreat center called Wonderland, and I'm in heaven. I don't know if you can hear the birds chirping, but it is a little slice of paradise here. And I am at the tail end of my Asia trip with Pasha, and then my father-in-law joined us. And now I am solo. I carved out this time for myself to really check in, do some yoga, meditate, be in nature, and just move really slow. And I've been meeting amazing people and having great conversations. And I was asked a question today that is going to prompt the topic of this episode. And it kind of all came to a head because I also read this book um, called Marriage from Miserable to Magnificent um, while I was in Vietnam. And these two pieces together are really what informed today's episode and discussion. But before that, guys, do you see this gray concrete wall? This is like, oh, you wanted to record some episodes while you were here? Well, we have your home studio in full effect. Um, I just thought it was worth pointing that out because I haven't really been able to record everywhere else. We've just been busy and sightseeing and touring and traveling. And I knew that I would record here. I would kind of hunker down in the very jungly part, you know, of of this island. And yeah, I have some things I want to share. So let me start by sharing that the question I was asked today while I was at lunch was from someone who is actually interested in non-monogamy in consensual non-monogamy really feels like it's the path forward for them. And they're just coming out of a marriage. They literally just, you know, signed divorce papers from a monogamous marriage and now they're here. So this person asked me from the perspective of if they were gonna try non-monogamy, they think that this would be the number one thing people ask them. Well, you must not really love your partner right? Assuming that they were going to do it in a partnered fashion, which is, you know, having a primary partner and exploring in a non-monogamous way together. 
whether that be having experiences together, having experiences solo, they were doing it in partnership with someone else. And they said, you know, if I told my parents this or my friends, they'd be like, well, how do you really love that person if you could know that they were with someone else romantically or sexually or had an emotional attachment to someone else? Like, how do you know they really love you if they're spending their time with someone else in that way, like having sex with somebody else? And this person is interested and this is not the way that they feel about it. They're like, this is the number one question that I know that I would get. So it had me thinking, and this is definitely a question I get a lot from my listeners, but also something that I got from community when I first opened up. And it's a, in, in a lot of ways, it is a fear-based question, right? How can you trust that the person loves you? How do you really like say that you love that person if you're okay with them doing this? And I want to explore that just a little bit and dive into the fact that the connotation and the energy of all of that is ownership, right? Is if I love someone, there is a certain level of connectivity where what they do reflects back on me because this relationship is that I allow or I don't allow them to do something and vice versa. And for many people, it's not your fault if you feel this way, if you think this way, you've been conditioned to think this way. This is how our society operates and it's how society has operated for millennia. Once we had land ownership, we had to transfer that, those rights and that wealth, right, from generation to generation. So then paternity became important. So then ownership of women and children became important because you had to know where you were passing your legacy onto. And so this started happening, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago. So we can't really fault ourselves for having this sort of bedrock thinking because it's been ingrained and indoctrinated in us. But for many people who want to create a conscious relationship, we're starting to examine these things, right? And question the belief systems that we have. Can we have love without ownership? For many people in consensual non-monogamous relationships, this is a yes. This is a resounding yes. Does that mean that, you know, we don't still struggle with jealousy, with feelings of um, uncertainty, with trust issues, all of that for sure. But non-monogamy, when it's consensual, requires trust. It requires forthcoming. It requires revealing um, fears, insecurities, desires, so much vulnerability. And that's for a whole other episode. And we talk about those things a lot on the show. But what I wanted to highlight here is that the question itself comes from the perspective already of someone believing that they could never do it for themselves because they have a certain level of ownership in their relationships that maybe they're not willing to give up. But for me, it had me wanting to explore love because love is so different for everyone. So to be asked the question, well, how do you even define love? 
in this non-monogamous container, right? My container. I am in a marriage. I, you know, am married to my husband. We've been together for nearly a decade and we have a primary partnership and we have an open relationship where we explore outside of our partnership throughout most of our relationship. And at this point, our boundaries are so fluid and seamless and things are easy in our non-monogamy. Um, but throughout our relationship, I've never once questioned whether or not we deeply loved each other. And I think it's because I'm a very polyamorous person by nature. And I didn't know that until I started exploring. And I believe my husband is as well. So there's that. <laughs> so for us, peeling back the layers revealed, oh, I actually feel like I know you deeper. Like I have a more authentic version of you because of our non-monogamy. And that can be really hard for people to understand. And I'm going to explain how we got there through this episode. So let's start with a little Greek history lesson. And this is where the book comes in. This book is really amazing. I'm gonna link it in the show notes. I read it um, about a week ago while we were in Vietnam and people are like, why are you reading a book called Marriage? <laughs> Miserable to Magnificent is the tagline. And you know, people are like, oh, but you're so happy, but I work at it. And I'm always wanting to learn how to keep my marriage in this place. And this book kind of detailed why, and, and I'm gonna get into it here in a moment, because our love is a very specific kind of love that we have over time. And most people, when they think about love, they think about Eros. Eros is erotic love. Eros is that love where you want that person, you wanna rip their clothes off, like there's no two ways about it. You know you're in love with them because you think about them every second of the day. You wanna spend all your time together. Everything is more amazing when you're together and you can picture your whole life out in front of you. A lot of those qualities are Eros qualities. Some other Eros qualities are being inconsistent in taking care of your responsibilities, being overwhelmed with love, being consumed with the love. And in a lot of ways, it's a very erratic, wild energy. You know, who remembers when they first fell in love that they didn't eat? Like I do. When I was, I think in high school at the time, yeah, I mean, when I fell in love for the first time, you just like stop eating because you can only think about that person or for maybe other people like all you did was eat i don't know but i neglected a lot of responsibilities a lot of self-care and you sort of obsess over the object of your affection what's happening here is your body is being pumped full of chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine and that feels really good. Those are the same chemicals that you get from drugs that cause euphoria, right? In your, in your nervous system, in your body's experience. And one of the chemicals that gets blocked actually when you're falling in love, which is what most people equate to eros or erotic love, is serotonin, a chemical that actually helps you balance your chemistry and your emotions and your moods. 
So when you're in Eros, you have a harder time stabilizing your mood. So you're very up and down. When you're not with your person, you can actually feel sick. You could actually get lovesick. That's Eros. And as fun as Eros is, it's not sustainable. And it's also not healthy. You don't want to be living a, a lifestyle where things are very erratic, you're on a roller coaster, you have no certainty. And so we move into different forms of love as we're moving out of Eros. And I wanted to kind of highlight what some of these forms of love are. There's Philia, right? Which the city that I was born and raised in is named after this kind of love. It's brotherly love, right? Affectionate love. I'm from Philadelphia. It's a city of brotherly love. Philia is the love that the Greeks use. This is the word that they use to describe love between friends and brothers and sisters, right? There's, um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, storage or storage, storage, which is familial love. That's the love for, that parents normally have for their children. And this is a very all-encompassing love as well. It could be very intense. I mean, most parents on this planet would say there is no love like between a mother and their child or a father and their child. It just eclipses any other kind of love you've ever felt. There's ludus, which is the love of play, or this has also been called logos, I think. And playful love is the love that you see when, you know, friends are dunking each other in the pool or roughhousing or, you know, running around together, being silly. That's the kind of love that that describes. And it's a beautiful form of love that's very lighthearted. Then we have mania, which is the word that the Greeks actually used to describe obsessive love, where eros can turn into madness, essentially. Um, we have agape, which agape is unconditional love for something greater than yourself, for all things. It's a very selfless love. You know, if you think of agape, the the community founded by Dr. Michael Beckwith in Los Angeles. Um, agape love is that love of all, that unconditional love for everything on this planet. Agape is the word for love that we use when we talk about love of God also, or spirit, or connection to the divine. It's that big love for something outside of ourselves. There's philatia or philatia which is self-love. This love is so important. And many people believe that you actually can't extend all of these other forms of love unless you love yourself first. So however deeply you can love yourself is the depths that you can go to loving others, which I am a firm believer in that. I think you can love other people, but only as deeply as you've met yourself and accept yourself. For me, self-love is all about acceptance truly and then lastly we get to pragma which pragma is enduring love and i think that the interesting thing is in pragma you will likely experience all of the different forms of love or many of these kinds of love right you'll experience eros likely as you're falling in love and you'll bring eros back when you have pragma, which, you know, would 
be what I would consider most people that are in long-term committed relationships or long-term you know, partnerships with other people, you're going to have to, at some point, you know, reignite that arrows, right? Bring the spice back into the bedroom, whatever that looks like. It's important to have, you know, Buddhas or a Logos, that playful, energetic, silly love, bringing comedy, bringing levity into your relationship. You likely have agape, right? That selfless love, unconditional forgiveness, you know? Um, you'll likely have brotherly love, sisterly love at some point because you become familial, especially if you're living together in long-term committed relationships, whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous, there is a philia because you move out of Eros. You know, people who think that they can sustain Eros, it's really not possible. And I actually think that it's a very intelligent function of nature. I've mentioned this before on the show, but you know, we have this chemistry that we talked about that creates that roller coaster, that dopamine, that oxytocin. And eventually that chemical combustion is going to wear off at about the two year mark. And that's just something that happens in nature. It's a, it's a biological truth that you cannot sustain that level of Eros with a partner. Now, unless you introduce some novelty, you'll bring those things back, right? Creating new waves, creating a new level of excitement. But I think nature has this really intelligent design because if you stayed there, you would likely get sick, as we talked about before. And so moving out of Eros, you have to move into a different kind of love. I mean, have you ever seen someone and this is not a judgment, but people talk about, oh, I'm, you know, monogamous, but you are in a different relationship every year or every two years, monogamous to that person for that period of time. And then you fall out of love or things get stale or, you know, the rose colored glasses and the honeymoon stage is over and you move on to a new partner. I mean, how many people have either been that, like done that or watched someone else do it? right? And if you step back and look at it, you can realize what's happening is they're chasing arrows. They're addicted to arrows. Who, like, who doesn't want to be addicted to all the feel-good chemicals, right? And it can really overshadow the, the drop-off that can happen in arrows as well, because you're only feeling into the highs. Like, they're so good that you forget that you know, you forgot to take care of yourself, right? Your self-love kind of plummeted and you forgot about all of your friends and, you know, weren't showing up in your family in the way that you're used to. That's what happens when you become addicted to arrows. And so for many people, if your relationship is going to mature, you're going to have to move from arrows into pragma. And pragma requires you to at least attempt to master all of these other forms of love. And the beauty in that is, and this is where I feel like my relationship comes in. The beauty in that is you get to know your partner on a deep, real level. Because we don't fully know the whole of a person while we're only experiencing arrows with them. To be able to 
be with someone in the highs of their life and celebrate all the really good moments is incredible. And I love it and we've done it. But what is it like when I meet you in your pain? What is it like when I'm there with you in your anger, in your sadness, in your humanity? That's going to require agape from me, or it's going to require storage, right? Familial love. So many different things are required if you're going to move into pragma. And it's really the only place that I see myself wanting to be with my partners is in that long-term beautiful love where I can use, I think about it like a pie, right? And each different kind of love is a slice of the pie. And I, I love a big chunk of my pie. Like my arrows piece is pretty big. <laughs> it's pretty hefty. You know, and I like it that way. It's like a good 40% of the pie, but it leaves room for expansion in all of these other areas. And so when I get asked the question, well, how can you call that love if you want to be with other people? And my response to that is, it depends on your definition of love. And my definition of love is all encompassing of all of these forms of love. You know, the Greek language is expansive and beautiful. And it has you wanting to wonder, like, why do we only have one word for love in the English language? And it's supposed to describe all of these different things. The book had me, you know, asking myself that was one of the questions. You know, it's very limited to say, I love you to your mom, right? And then to turn around to your best friend and say, I love you too. You know, when you're like leaving a lunch, giving a hug goodbye. And you can, you know, have love for your partner, the person that you're maybe married to. You can also like say that you love your niece or your nephew and it's all the same word, but there we're talking about many different things here. And so it's important to note this if you are considering non-monogamy or not, what version are you living in? And are you living in the delusion that you can sustain arrows? in only a way that's Eros, where you're not trying to have, you know, Lodos or um, Pragma, Agape, any of these other kinds of love, but you just want that partner for like hot, sexy times. And the cool thing is in non-monogamy, you can seek out those people. And as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, isn't that what you're doing? Like by wanting to have new partners? And it is, absolutely when i want to bring more arrows into my life i might have a new partner or i might have a new partner with my husband or my husband and i might go to a play party and i might watch him with a new partner that brings so much eroticism back into my life personally on my own but also in my relationship with him or it excites me and has me inspired and i want to go create it on my own like i said i like a lot of arrows but it also allows me to know that when I'm feeling philia for my husband, which is like brotherly, sisterly love, that's also okay. That does not mean that my marriage at this point is a failure because I'm looking at him like I wanna cuddle next to him and not like I wanna have sex with him in that moment. We can dance in all of these different spaces because 
we're creating a life together and I want that to be so full and rich and I want to know all the sides of him and I want him to see all the sides of me and so in a lot of ways I feel like our love is so deep because we have so much to explore and if we were just bouncing around an eros that would feel limited that would feel like boxed in for me and um it also wouldn't feel mature you know and that's not a judgment this is just my level of maturity is based on how much i've grown and so my experience is that as i grow and i mature i want a higher level of love i want a love that includes me getting closer to god and that's going to require agape and so as i'm moving into that and having more of all of these different kinds of love with my partner so you know as i'm sharing this I kind of want the takeaway here to be wherever you are, don't judge yourself because maybe you have been chasing arrows or, you know, maybe you've been afraid to really like bear your heart to your partner, be fully honest with them. Maybe you haven't let them in. Maybe you haven't let them take care of you when you're sick, like wanting to do it all on your own. You're shielding yourself from experiencing these different kinds of love with the same person. And so ask yourself maybe why you're doing that. What's the fear? And if you're like, oh, holy shit, I didn't realize all this. And I've been trying to sustain Eros and haven't really moved into Pragma with my partner. Don't beat yourself up. It's not really your fault. As I mentioned earlier, we've all sort of been conditioned to believe that Eros lasts forever, that like, happily ever after means that you're going to feel this in love like as you were you know a year after you met when you know someone proposed and you have this beautiful wedding and honeymoon and you're going to live happily ever after and until death do part you will feel this level of intense love for your partner and that's just not true that's just not how humans work it's not how our bodies are wired. They're wired for so much more, actually. That might feel like the most expansive thing, but in a lot of ways, as I'm sharing this, it's very limited. It's very one way for a long time. And um, that's just not reality. So I hope this has been helpful. Um, you know, I think that we all measure success in our relationships in different ways. And it's important for you to define how you feel success in your relationship and go from there. What has you feeling fulfilled? What has you feeling loved? And like you can give your love freely to your partner or partners, you know? And um, as I said, I'm gonna link that book in the show notes and feel free to explore what all these different kinds of love mean for yourself and with the different people in your life. I wanna leave you with this. Also on this trip, I read the incredible Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfection. And in it, she defines the word love. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. 
It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Thank you. Always remember to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it so others can find it. And I will see you next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.